Listeners, you're invited to stream and listen to Jawson's music on Apple Music, Amazon Music, Spotify, Audio Mac, or Deezer. Type in J-A-U-S-A-N in the search for artists to follow and like modern instrumental music from his discography. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Romantic Truth Podcast. Please be advised that the content of this show is for mature audiences 18 and over due to the topics discussed. Please feel free to follow and like Romantic Truth on Facebook at facebook.com slash romantic truth. You may also listen to the podcast on anchor.fm slash romantic truth. Now, here is your host Jawson. Hi everyone, Jawson with you here, Romantic Truth, Las Vegas. Bridget writes the following out of Las Vegas. I'm an African-American woman, I went out with this white guy recently, and... We got on the subject of slavery, and he really showed his ass. At first, I thought he was a cool guy. We liked the same music. We liked the same places to go out. But he had his views. He talked about how slavery was a choice. Yes, the Kanye West argument. Our date went south from then on. He stuck by his position. I stuck by mine. He wants to go out again. He apologized, and he said that he was out of line. I'm thinking about it, but I don't know. Your thoughts on this, sir? I listen to your show regularly. Girlfriend gave me the link, and I'm sharing love. LOL. (sighs) Oh, we hear this argument all the time. Look, uh, an awkward argument to have on a date, for sure. No matter whether you're interracial or not. Um, Here's the thing. He had a different experience with race than you did, obviously. You're black, he's white. But here's the thing you also have to look at. To some people, they look at it from the standpoint of, if you're so adamant about freedom... Why didn't you put up a rebellion on the slave ships, at the castle, in places like Sierra Leone, where they housed the slaves before they actually got them on ships? Why didn't they do it in the plantations, etc., etc.? You have to remember that many of these people came from different tribes, first of all, and they all had a different approach on things. Now, it would have been nice to say, oh, well, you know, they only got this kind of tribe or that kind of tribe, but it wasn't that way. These people were intermixed. You had rivals that were on the same ships. You had those that really just stuck together as a pacifist group. You had others that actually were militant. There was a ship that was registered in Liverpool years ago, back during that time when slavery was really in its throes especially when it came down to places like Jamaica, where they were harvesting coffee, cane, sugar cane, things like that, throughout the Caribbean. And the ship left from London. It was insured. But now you have to look at some of the conditions of the insurance on many of those ships. The slave 
could not die of things such as being starved to death or malnourishment and maltreatment. It had to be something that was really feasible. In other words, they could not die of natural causes. It had to be some anomaly, maybe a storm or something of that sort. Well, this particular ship, they were running low on water. At least, that's what they said. And they wound up throwing over, I think it was 130 slaves into the ocean, to the Atlantic, on their way to Jamaica. Well, what they were looking for, it wasn't that they were really short on water. The shipping company wanted to get an insurance claim file. There was added money besides the route that they would have gotten, the pay they would have gotten for carrying the slaves, they had a little bonus. You lose a few of them on the way, the incentive was for you to push them off, and I don't think those people really had a choice. I think 120 jumped off, I mean were pushed off, and 10 jumped off because they were afraid that they were going to be pushed off. This is nothing unusual, it happened on a regular basis. You look at the history of the Takora, which was another ship that the Portuguese used. You saw a depiction of that in the movie Amistad. And they would tie stones, chain stones to their legs, or else just throw them overboard without even any care. This also went for sick people. If people were sick, dying, they were taking up space, taking up resources, they would go over. There were others who wanted to swim back to their homeland without the understanding that they were miles away from Africa and they would never make it. There was no choice in that matter. Um, when the choices were very limited, I'll put it that way for those of you who think they still had a choice. But I guarantee you, when it comes down to your survival, you at least want to go out fighting. Well, they eventually got ready to make it to Jamaica, and they had this storm, it was an abundance of rain, the rain barrels were filled, so they had more than enough drinking water. And when they got there, they filed a claim, the company rejected it, and so they didn't get compensated for those slaves that they had thrown overboard like they thought they would. There were some legal ramifications, and this gave credence for the abolitionists in London at the time to actually use this as a death nail to do away with slavery. Now, the one thing that you have to understand, Nobody volunteers to be humiliated. And we always go back and forth about this issue. And we have to look at a few things about slavery. It was a well-established institution. It wasn't something that was pulled out of someone's ass. They really thought this through. 
They insured the ships. They insured the slaves on the ships as cargo. And when they were reimbursed, the owners of those slaves of that particular lot, they were actually compensated on the level of losing horses as opposed to slaves, which was considerably less than they would have paid out for slaves themselves. So you had a lot of insurance scams going on during that time with some of the slaves not being able to make it. And what you have to realize is that even though they all had the common thing of being put in a repressed state, many of them didn't have the ability or the understanding to know what to do even if they were to rebel. Now, there were rebellions on ships. And many of them wound up floating around just like they did in the movie Amistad, which was actually a factual situation that happened. And you will see this throughout our history when it comes to slavery in general. Now, places like Brazil, they eventually had more slaves than they had people to manage them. And of course, they ran into problems. The United States, they were a little bit more rigid because the one thing that they feared was to have a large population of blacks that would outpopulate the whites. That was one thing that they looked at as far as controlling. The Spaniards, of course, handled it differently because they had indigenous populations there already, places like Mexico, Central Latin America, South America. And what they decided to do was outpopulate the larger population. They brought over Spanish males for a Spanish female to come into the New World. She would have to be someone of prominence with her husband. Maybe he's a viceroy or something of that sort. But she definitely was not going to be impregnated by one of the indigenous people. Now, we hear a lot of people in the Latin world say that they're, you know, part Spanish. But see, the way some of the people view it in places like Catalan, they look at the lineage from the maternal side of the family, not the paternal side. So, in many cases, that was the difference. Now, as I told you about blue bloods, blue bloods were very pale people in Europe who were of aristocracy and wealth. And the reason why they were called blue bloods because they didn't go out in the sun as much, and the veins they had in their legs and arms were a bluish color. And so, they didn't want to, of course, in any way soil that. Many of them would intermarry, marry cousins, aunts, relatives, in order to keep the bloodline pure. This is the part of where you see people talk about racial purity and all this crap. This is the part that they don't like. There was a lot of inbreeding. 
In fact, I think it was Queen Isabella had not bathed until the night of her marriage. They would wear these white linen undergarments and that was supposed to capture all the filth from their bodies and those garments were washed and they were filthy. So you can imagine the disposition of the person's body. Body odor was a common thing during those periods. Now, what we have to also look at is that being that you had to deal with this degradation of slavery. You have to remember, these people were in a foreign land, had no weapons, had no understanding of the terrain or environment, not to mention being on a ship out in the middle of the ocean. You had people from different tribes, spoke different languages, had different values, different cultural norms. Some of the very black people today that are killing each other in the streets, dissing each other, may have had ancestors on many of those ships helping each other, trying to survive the middle passage. We don't think about these things. Somebody that just got shot may have lineage back to where that person that they shot could have fed them their meal because they were too sick to eat it and sacrificed their own nutrition and livelihood for the other person. But we don't go that deep in our thinking because we just deal with what we deal with today. So a lot of people ask, why aren't black people one unified voice? And we only get together during crisis when one black person is hurt by a white person, for instance. It's because they have that same link of being treated in similar fashion based on their skin color. That's what it comes down to. Outside of that, they're individuals just like anyone else. Now, again, that was an inappropriate conversation to have. He was very insensitive to have that conversation with you. Would you go out with him again? You might. Maybe you shouldn't. Because what I've found is people who do things like that have what are called fits and starts. They'll say something, apologize, and then offend you again. Maybe you should flatten the relationship out and say, you know what, let's just wind up being friends. There's a likelihood he's going to say something else that's going to offend you and not know him. See, some people are so literally ignorant about other cultures because in America, you're basically taught one thing. And that's it. You're not taught about cultural sensitivity. You're not even taught about critical thinking skills for the most part. You're not talking about anthropology, cultural anthropology. Those things 
don't even enter the realm of thinking for many people. Look at Americans now. Many of us don't speak a second language, and the highest percentage that do speak Spanish. But when it comes to German, French, Italian, you name it. But then you have these people that will say they're German, they're French, and they're Italian, but they can't speak a word of it, wouldn't understand it, don't know anything about the culture. But then they'll cherry pick certain things out of it. It was funny. Uh, a lady asked me about one of the releases I had put out on Spotify and on Apple. She's like, what language is that? I said, it's Gaelic. It means the tales of two women. Part one and part two. Part one is of one woman, part two is of the other. And a lot of people will go and get an identity with a culture, but they want the symbolism of it, not the work that's associated with it, not the history that's associated with it, which in some cases is bleak in some cases. When we talk about the Celts, for instance, and how they were disliked by a lot of folks throughout history, including the Romans and others. Some became gypsies. But we don't talk about these things because we want the convenience of whatever's popular, whatever makes us look good. And I realized there was some good and bad in all cultures, throughout our civilizations, throughout history. I hear people say they're Italian, but I don't hear too many people say they're Roman, as an example. Because as we know, Rome was not a very popular thing to claim, especially now, knowing what about 42 of the emperors did throughout their reign, throughout their history. Trajan was the worst of them all when he came to the Colosseum and some of the feats and things that he had done there. So historically, we like the symbolism. We like being exotic. So we'll say we're this or we're that. Like you look at the title, African American. What really does that mean? You're continental American because Africa is a continent. Just like a person said, a European-American. What does that mean? That means that, okay, you have ancestry from a continent. But that's not descriptive. It just points to a geographical area. What part of that continent do you associate with? And this is what we look at. We try to identify with something. You look at the designation of black people. We were the N-word after the Civil War. Before the Civil War, we were slaves. Then after that, 
grow. Then we were colored, and they tried to differentiate the two. You were colored if you were of a lighter skin and you weren't very dark. Then they came in with the different colors, which they had during slavery. High yellow. And sometimes that was used as a means of being superior to the other people. A legacy that we carry today from slavery. Red bone, high yellow. Colorism. Childish word. Dorophilia is what it is. Obsession with skin color, obsession with skin texture. Now, let's look at what if things were put in the opposite direction, where darkness was an attribute as opposed to a liability. You'd have some of the palest people in the world wanting to be black or wanting to be of dark skin of some sort. What it comes down to is whoever was the victor set the rules. The Spaniards had to deal with the Moors. The Moors came in and reigned for 500 years. Charlemagne in France said, mm -mm. they could stay in Spain and Portugal, but they're not coming here. And they fought to drive them back and drive them out. Emperor Charlemagne. We got a gentleman that's using that name today. Charlemagne the God. But we have to look at the origin of it. Yes. He was a celebrated conqueror. But he also Charlemagne, I'm talking about the emperor. Fought against the Moors, fought against black people to drive them out of Europe. Kind of helps to know your history a bit. And as I told you, Tacitus, the Greek writer, wrote about how the Romans went into Gaul and Germania and Bavaria got their asses whipped. And the Romans had all of these fancy formations and all of these nice uniforms and weaponry. Barbarians, they fought tooth and nail. They used the trees to protect them. They used tools and weapons that many of the Romans weren't familiar with. You'll realize, no matter where you go to fight a war, the people there have nothing to lose. That's the reason why they defend what they have so vehemently. We would think that they had a lot to lose. 
but if you've invaded them in such a way, they will die for the protection of their own. And therefore, that question that that gentleman, well, what he said to you, ma'am, about them rising up, they were not on their own turf in order to have that choice. When the Japanese invaded China, Manchuria, when they went into places such as Shanghai and raped thousands of women and dropped lice from the sky so that they could have these people sick and ill with all kinds of diseases. We have to remember Japanese went into the Philippines. They took over islands like Saipan, Tinian, Guam, different places in order to establish their empire. Because they needed these places for resources in Malaya for rubber, to build planes, tires for vehicles, those kind of things. And the United States had an embargo against them in the Pacific. The Japanese didn't like that. They were a little bit egotistical. They had beat the Russians in 1918 in the Sino-Russo War. So as they saw it, hell, if we could do that, we have a strong Navy, we can expand. And the only threat would be Americans in the Pacific. Well, we could take over Hawaii. But they miscalculated. They were fighting on foreign soil, and so were we. And the thing was that we had at our advantage as Americans was the fact that we were the invaders. And they didn't have a vested interest in the land in which they conquered. The indigenous population in many of those lands fell victim, not knowing what the Americans would do after they won battles. We look at Vietnam as an example. We look at Korea as an example. In both cases, we wound up having to pull out because the indigenous population got involved, especially in Vietnam, with the Viet Cong. These were average citizens that took up arms in defense of their country, just like we would do here in America if we got invaded. No matter what kind of differences we have in regards to race, we'd probably come together for that momentous moment to protect this country. And we'll come off of our individualism and start to realize that if we lose, we all lose. Whether you're the kid in the hood in Chicago or whether you're the white guy in Pocatello, Idaho, you both have a vested interest in the salvation and sovereignty of this country because it would hit home there. And these are things that we have to be 
mindful of. <clears throat> and it shouldn't take a crisis for us to treat each other better. As in that situation that you had with that gentleman, ma'am. More in a moment. All right, Sheila writes the following. <clears throat> Out of Las Vegas. I'm in a real tough situation. I've got to make a choice between three men. I've gone out on dates with all three of them. I told them about each other, and they seem to have the same mutual interest in me. I like this moment. I'm flattered by it, but I know I have to make a decision and somebody's feelings will be hurt. It's tough for me to make a decision right now, and I kind of like the way things are going because I'm not getting any pressure from either one of them. And I'm wondering, how long do you think I'll be in this sweet spot? Because I really love the dates, the flowers, the attention. Sheila, Las Vegas, Nevada. Sheila, it's only going to be temporary. Some of those guys are going to make decisions for you by leaving you. Some of them are not even committed to you, I'm sure. They're just patronizing you to see whether or not they could beat the other guy out now that you told them. Don't be surprised. The winner that you choose will say, okay, thank you very much, and go on to someone else. Because now what you've done, you're dealing with their egos. Don't play the game too long. You may get left out. Are you talking about a hard spot? Let me tell you what a hard spot is. A hard spot would be like the Admiral in World War II that was in the submarine in the Formosa Strait. And he was sinking Japanese ships. They had a convoy. And his crew had about, I think, something like 20 torpedoes. They had sank all these ships. And they only had two more torpedoes left. But then they were going to leave and come back to San Francisco and they were going to have a good time. They were going to party out. They'd start talking about, let's go in and knock out this last ship and let's be on our way. Well, they shot one of the torpedoes, got the attention of a destroyer. They hit it but didn't sink it. Well, they were getting ready to fire the second torpedo and when they fired it, the guidance device on the torpedo malfunctioned. And so what happened, the torpedo started going in circles. And as it went in circles, it went wider and wider. And the captain of the submarine was trying to get out of the area before it widened its range and probably collided with the sub. So they tried their best to get out of the way Torpedo, their own torpedo hit the submarine. It was damaged. Water went everywhere on the inside. They were trying to plug up the holes. And at this point, they hit the surface. And when they did, those Japanese ships were waiting. So they went back under. The Japanese ships came on and dropped depth charges into the ocean. 
bombs that would explode at a certain depth damaged the ship even more. Then it got to a point where the ship started flooding, the batteries caught on fire in the submarine, so the only place they could go was to the front portion of the ship where they had to exit the ship out of a torpedo hole. And the problem was they only had this little uh, O2 canister. And they had to hook it up to them. And they could only swim up to 70 feet and they had to stop so they didn't get the bends before getting to the surface. They were 180 feet down in shallow water. At this time, there was about, I think, 30 men on the submarine, but only about 15 were able to get into the compartment that was safe. A lot of the sailors were injured, too badly injured to go forward. Some of them went back to their bunks and laid there for the inevitable. Well, they sealed off the rest of the submarine. Some of the men died because the carbon monoxide was not cycling through. Five of them opened the hatch and they went out, got to the surface. They languished for about a day or so. And then the Japanese picked them up. There was about three survivors that made it. One guy made it to the surface. Blood was coming out of his eyes and his nose. He was throwing up. He didn't make it. They got them on the boat. And these men that looked like they had been through hell, these Japanese men, soldiers, uniforms burned, injured, started beating them. And the captain of that ship, of the submarine, was among the survivors. And he said he didn't understand why these guys were beating them until he realized they were the survivors of the ship they sank the night before. And he said, you know, I deserve what they gave me. They were taken to a POW camp. He survived and was later released. And he, as I recall, has the most kills in history when it comes to a submarine for an American submariner. Now we had another famous submariner in our midst. He's in Plains, Georgia right now, fighting for his life. President Jimmy Carter. Without him, we would have never developed our nuclear program for submarines. At 28, he was the commander of a sub. They had a nuclear reactor in Canada that had some problems. And the place was so highly contaminated that they had estimated you could only be in there for 90 seconds at a time. That's it. So Carter was in charge of putting together a team to go into this contaminated facility to try to save it and disassemble it. 
And literally, what they had to do was have the screwdrivers and they'd go and turn the bolt and the different components of it by hand, incrementally at 90 seconds per go. And they got it down to, a, I think, something like a minute and 50 seconds. They put on their suits, go in, turn the bolt as long as they could for that period of time and they would have to get out. And they eventually disassembled that facility and later it was reassembled and functioning properly. And from what I recall, he, re he tested for radiation for a while before he was cleared. So did a lot of the other men. He's the only president we've had in U.S. history that graduated from the Annapolis Naval Academy. So, best wishes and Godspeed to Jimmy Carter and his family. He did a lot for this nation. As an American. When he got out of the Navy, he did seven years in, and when he got out, Rosson wouldn't speak to him, according to him. When he was going back to Plains, Georgia, she wanted him to stay in the Navy, go to exotic locations. And it was funny, he said that since Rosalind wasn't speaking to him, she would tell the kid to tell him that she needed to stop to pee. And then eventually, they mended their relationship and became a wonderful couple. We've had a lot of good people, terrific people in office. John F. Kennedy, talk about hard times, ma'am, hard decisions. He was on what is called a PT boat. They used to have a show called PT 109 years ago. And what these boats did, they took out larger ships, their torpedoes. And his ship was sank. And what he did, he helped his men swim from the middle of the ocean to an island. Got a back injury from it. When it comes down to tough decisions, ma'am, those are tough decisions. You have a very easy decision to make. Talking about tough decisions, George Bush, senior, Navy pilot in World War II, got shot down near Japanese island. And they literally were going to disembowel him because he had killed some of their countrymen. Fortunately, he was rescued before they could get to him. Senator John McCain shot down during Vietnam over Hanoi, landing in the lake. And the civilian population beat him to a pulp. That was his welcoming committee. And he got locked up in Hanoi prison. They found out later he was the son of a very famous American senator, offered him 
the luxury of leaving. He turned it down because he still had men there. And he wasn't going to leave anybody behind. And he was tortured and went through all the hell. And eventually, he met the man who tortured him years later and forgave him. That's when you have tough decisions to make. So consider yourself very fortunate to have a decision between three men, ma'am. You have a luxury, not a burden. There are some men that wish they could get one woman. So, consider yourself fortunate. There are some women out there that can't get a man. And if they were able to get him, because getting a man is the easiest thing to do. But the difficulty for many of them is keeping him. More in a moment. All right, ladies, I have a question to ask you. And you can give me your answer on anchor.fm backslash romantic truth. And you can just click on the messages and leave your message and we'll play it on air here. The question is, if times were really tough, would you resort to something that was not illegal but something that may put your reputation in question if it were to be found out on a larger scale. Such as having an OnlyFans page, for instance. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because George, out of Los Angeles, he has here's the Los Angeles metropolitan area. Excuse me. But anyway, he has this particular email that I'm going to read to you. I've been working two jobs for the last three years. I've been with my girl for two years. We've been trying to make ends meet. We want to buy a house, and we decided that we will stay in California. We learned a valuable lesson because we were sharing a house with another couple. They decided to move to Indiana, and now they regret it. They bought a house there, but now they have to realize how much it costs to fix it. Plumbing, foundation, driveway, roof, all has to be replaced. My girlfriend and I decided not to go that route. She's now working part-time, and I'm working two full-time jobs. I get off at one, and I go to the other, so it leaves me very little time to spend with her. One thing that I've noticed within the last few months, all of the bills are paid magically. And she tried to tell me that she was doing it through her paycheck. I found that very hard to believe. On one job, my day job, I make $17 an hour. On my evening job, I make $13 an hour. I had a talk with her about this. And last night, she finally came clean. She has an OnlyFans page that she didn't tell me about. One of her girlfriends got her involved with it at her job. 
I was ready to get mad at her until I looked and saw how much money she had in her account. Almost $9,000. She told me that I didn't have to do what I was doing anymore and we could make money with her efforts. I feel less than a man now. I feel like I've let her down and can't provide for her as a man. I was kind of upset, but after looking at her videos, I saw it was something that she normally does around the house, plays with herself. I guess I'm not so intimidated by it because we do need the money. I just don't like the terms. I went to the 99 cent store and bought her a mask so at least she could cover her face so that people won't know who she is. So maybe this is something that might be our future. I know you probably don't agree with what she did. I didn't agree with it at first. And I know my family's gonna really raise hell when they see this, if they ever find out. I'm sure they probably will because my sister is so fucking nosy. Do you think I should go through with this with her? Because we've been working a lot and haven't gotten anywhere so far. George, Greater Los Angeles area. George, I will tell you one thing for sure. Right now, as long as it's legal, as long as it's consensual and she's comfortable with it, so be it. She's trying to help you indirectly for the benefit of the both of you. A lot of women do things like this. A lot of you guys went out and start betting on football games and things like that in order to make some extra money. So I can't knock her hustle. The only thing I will tell you is that as long as the two of you are comfortable with this, okay. Now, some of the things you have to concern yourselves with there are going to be people to try to find out where you are, where you live, and all that other stuff. That obsessed loser. That'd be the only main threat. Outside of that, though, your relationship, it probably will improve. Because here's the thing. She's only doing this to herself. It'd be different if she was sleeping with another guy doing full uh, blown-out porn. But something like this, where she's just masturbating, walking around nude, that kind of thing. Eh, I wouldn't sweat it so much. So, I'm sure she didn't know how to tell you, didn't even want to tell you. Now she probably feels a little bit freer. And now she probably can go and get some of the things for the family 
that she kind of held off on because she didn't want to give herself away. Now, here's the thing I will tell you. Keep your tax records. Make sure you keep an accounting because you will have to pay taxes on that money. The other thing to keep in mind, because that is income. The other things to keep in mind is that that's going to have a short life cycle. And she's going to have to be constantly churning people, marketing to them, in order to keep them interested. Now, I know you're concerned about the moral aspect of it with the sanctity of marriage, her body is your body, and all this other stuff. Well, here's the thing. You also have to look at it if you went to Iceland, for instance, and wanted to get in a swimming pool. You'd have to strip in front of strangers anyway, men and women. Because they're real strict on hygiene over there. Now, I know it's in Iceland, but I'm just using that as an example. So, I don't have a hang up with it. Now, some of the ladies probably do. Moral aspect of it, you have some women that don't like their bodies and don't want nobody else to see it, not even their own husband. There was a lady that wrote in. She'd been married 23 years. And she never had sex totally nude with her husband. It's always been in a nightgown because she had serious body body issues. Self-image issues. Not brought on by her husband, but from years prior to meeting him. And she never let those go. Those are embedded in her DNA. Those thoughts of her being inadequate. And she wrote about how difficult it was for him to even take her on the first date. She turned him down like nine or ten times. Because the people she had been with in the past had done a number on her mind and on her self-image. Because see, the biggest fear for anyone, and it impacts men a lot more, that sense of inadequacy I talk about, that's the reason why a lot of people actually get nervous when it comes to dating. (coughs) They don't think they're going to be adequate enough. And they don't want to deal with the fallout called rejection. I remember one time I was talking to a lady and I just knew she was going to reject me. I already knew. I ran the whole script in my head. I said, this lady is going to tell me to get the hell out of her face. Very nice looking. And she had that intimidation factor. That confidence. But that didn't faze me none. I just knew she's probably going to have attitude and I'm going to get this. And I've already ran through my head about how I was going to recover. To the contrary, shocked the hell out of me. Spoke to her, spoke back, asked me how was I doing. 
asked me why I was at the mixer. I said, well, I'm here to see if I could possibly find a girlfriend or maybe a future wife. She laughed. And she said, well, let's go on that journey together. And she locked arms with me and held my hand. We went over to the table where they have all the hors d'oeuvres and the wines. And we stood there and we talked. And she was a very pleasant person. And I told her, I said, you know, I honestly thought you were going to diss me in the beginning. And she said, this is not the first time I've heard that. And she was like, what is it about me that make you think that? I said, it's just your presence. The way she carried herself. And I was okay with it. We dated for about six months. And then she was like, well, you know, I'm moving to Dallas. Got a promotion on their job. I couldn't blame her for taking it. Well, she's a very sweet lady. We still keep in touch from time to time. But this happens sometimes. You don't think, you're like, damn. How am I going to deal with this? They start thinking that you're out of your league. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes people do get out of their league and they don't want to face it. Here's the way you know you're out of your league. Anytime a person's talking about a subject and you can't keep your mouth shut because you got to act like you know everything and you make a contribution to the conversation and it's totally unfounded it has nothing to do with what they're talking about, you're out of your league. That's when you need to be quiet and learn. I learned a lot more from idle conversations during singles mixers, from people who were in certain fields and different uh, professions than I was, just by listening. I didn't interject anything. The reason being, I deferred to someone smarter than me. But see, sometimes we let our ego get in the way. And now we want to be the smartest person in the room and not realize we're the biggest fool in the room. I learned a lot from that lady in six months. I should learn some things from me. But here's the thing. Sometimes people will get so insecure. Their insecurities will overwhelm them in such a way until they get to a point that they got to go on defense for everything. Even when it's unwarranted. One thing that I used to hate to see, and I used to see sisters go down with this so many times, There'd be a bunch of guys carrying on the conversation. And she would come in 
and try to add to the conversation. And they may be talking about a subject. And she just goes and throws something in there. And the guys already know that she's just doing that for attention. And she'd wonder why she was ignored. And of course, she has to top that with something more outlandish in order to get that big splash of attention. Ladies, do not do this. Just don't do it. We find you more attractive when there's a subject matter maybe you don't know about and you go quiet, just like men usually do. Because, see, at that point, that's a nexus for the both of you. I met a lady that way one time. There was this guy that was a stockbroker and he was talking about, because he had worked on Wall Street and he was talking about the different stocks and everything and investments. And I knew about some of them, but there were some things that I didn't know about. Mortgage-backed securities, MBSs. Well before they became popular in 2008. And how they were packaging the debt from the Exxon Valdez oil spill as an investment. See, sometimes you can take an investment and convert it over to an investment. Take a, de- a debit, I mean a debt, and convert it over to an investment. And this is what they did, and they used the same philosophy in 2008. Well, leading up to 2008. Packaging the debt in such a way that it was palatable for investors. I learned about the tranches, how they had them set up, how they had them structured, how they had them classified. And me and this young lady were just listening. There were a lot of other people up there, you know, that knew what the hell he was talking about, and they were interjecting, and everybody had on a conversation. We just sat there and listened. And the nexus was we both were learning something at the same time. And our conversation centered around learning something together. And we didn't know each other. But it led to a conversation, which led to a date. And with my luck, she was going to get transferred on her job. But we had about, I think, three months together. In metropolitan areas, there's one thing that you'll realize, especially transient areas like Las Vegas, San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, you will find people who will be on the move, especially if they're in their 20s to 30s. That's when you're going to take a lot of risk for professional advancement. See, during the time I was working, when I started working, they were doing away with all of the cradle-to-the-grave jobs. At best, the company wanted you to work for them for about five years and then start looking for somebody else. 
Because the one thing that they didn't want to do was to take care of your ass when you got old. They'd rather spend that money on someone younger as opposed to legacy costs with an older employee that they're still covering for health care and retirement. So you had to be more agile. During that time, outsourcing was a big thing. Offshoring was a big thing. Most of the jobs that I had early on in IT were all outsourced jobs. Contracting with this company, that company. Because that's what you had to do. You had to be flexible, you had to be mobile, you had to be agile. Because if you went there thinking that you were just going to go and prop yourself up for 30 years, you had another thing coming. Wasn't going to happen. So in 1998, I had to make a whole change in my life. I left PBS television station right out of San Bernardino, KBCR-TV. And made a career change into IT. Even though I'd worked in IT in other phases of my life, I had to put it in maximum overdrive because now you didn't have to deal with them big-ass mainframe computers anymore. You didn't have to have the punch-down cards, the reel-to-reel and all that crap. Things were a little bit more comprehensive, easy to do. But those of you who don't know about punch-down cards, you had to have a stack of cards, and when you fed it into the system, you could spell out your name or whatever you needed to. It was a god-awful process. And if you dropped those damn cards, you had to get them back in order for it to make any sense. So be thankful you're not dealing with that laborious task anymore. Steve Jobs said it best. And I remember him talking about this back in the 1980s. That someday we will have a personal device. I forgot what he called it, but it wasn't called a cell phone. But he said something like a personal device that we will be able to have our whole world centered around that where we wouldn't have to worry about things such as wallets, that kind of thing. Amazing how he had that vision. We'll talk more in a moment. Now, one of the most difficult things is dealing with a person that's a reactionary. They have to react or respond to everything, even when it doesn't pertain to them. A lot of you fellas run into situations where you're dealing with that. A couple may have an argument across the damn uh, restaurant. And she might just get up and go over there and intervene. And it's very difficult to manage that because before you know it, if it escalates into something that involves her, now you got a problem. You know, when I say integrity, you want to also look for someone who's disciplined, personal discipline. Where they don't get into their feelings so quickly. Because 
you have some people that really want to be the hero in every situation. You don't have to be. You don't have to be a coward either. But you also have to understand a couple of things. Your limitations. That's the couple of things. Let me tell you why. As I told you before, there was an altercation that took place in an apartment I was living in years ago. The husband had kicked the wife down the flight of stairs. She landed on the back. Shoulder blade bone was sticking out through her, through her skin. She's in tears. I'm seeing him come down the steps. So I intervene. Big mistake on my part. I was ready to go and deal with the dude to try to keep them away from each other. All of a sudden, I get hit from behind. This woman, shoulder blade sticking out, still hitting my ass. I said, to hell with this. Neighbors called the police. Police came. They straightened out the situation. And I learned then, okay, yeah, true enough. It was bad to see what happened. But now that I think about it, in retrospect, I jeopardized my life for a person I didn't know and didn't apparently didn't give a shit about me even when I tried to protect or help her. So at, from that, I gathered, stay in my own lane. And this is what I'm saying, fellas. Some women will intervene in situations they have no business. If you're dating a Karen, that's what you got. It was funny, I was at Target one time in Ranch Cucamonga, and there was this guy that was coming out. He was coming out of his car. His wife was getting out of the passenger side. There was another car that parked beside him. And he left ample room for her to open her door. And she tells him, you should not be parking that big SUV in this space next to our car. You may ding it. And the guy's like, ma'am, I'm careful. I'm not dinging anything. And he's out the car. His woman's out the car. Nope. She wasn't going to let it in there. Now, this woman's husband was just shaking his head, looking at the other guy as if to say, I can't, I can't control him. I don't know what to do. So the man's wife sees that he's being chastised, her husband's being chastised by this woman. And she walks up to her and she says, what is the problem? She, and she's like, your idiot husband did this and that. Wrong answer. The lady was putting that purse over to her, gave the purse to her husband. And she says, I'll drop you right here, bitch. The first thing that Karen did was ran behind her husband. Shit starters. Fellas, I'm telling you, those women will get you killed and hurt quicker than anyone else. And they look at this kind of stuff as entertainment. It's attention to them. You should never be involved in a fight that a woman that you're with provoked. I don't give a damn how mad she is. I don't care if that girl stole her boyfriend from her years past. Not your job. She started it. Let her take the ass whooping with it. 
Don't try to defend it. Just sit there and twiddle your thumb. Do, 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 do. Call 911. Be the witness. Tell them to bring an ambulance. Tell them to also bring a shovel. They mean to scrape her ass up off the sidewalk after the, after the woman finished with her. Don't get involved. You're not a punk because she's going to try to punk you on your manhood. Well, if you're any kind of man, you uh, fuck you. You started it, you finish it. As men, we know not to talk shit about the wrong, around the wrong guy. Ladies, this is the reason why we don't communicate that much with men. Because we know we'll probably fuck around and say the wrong thing. And when that happens, we got to worry about surviving the fight. If a guy starts complaining about his wife calling her a bitch or whatever... We can't come in there and say, yeah, you know, you're, yeah, she is a bitch from what you tell me. You can't do that. And expect for him to say, what? Ladies, you could do this with your man all day long with another woman. My husband's a jerk. He doesn't show me any attention or any affection. Girl, I know what you mean. Men are like that. We don't have that kind of relationship as men. Because no matter what, that man's still going to stand up for his woman, especially against another man. We don't have the luxury like that. So, just keep that in mind. You're no punk because you're not fighting somebody. The only time you need to fight anyone involving your woman is to defend the two of you. Somebody coming at you, that's a different story. You going after somebody, you don't want to do that shit. I remember we went to this one club. I forgot where it was. It was somewhere in San Bernardino. And this guy came in. And he started a fight with this other dude. Big mistake on his part. This was my first time being at this place. It seemed like everybody but the bartender and the security guard whooped this man's ass. Women included. Because a lot of those folks knew each other. That's the reason why you don't ever want to be offensive because you never know who is with who, who's connected to whom. You never know. Hell, I remember one time I was trying to talk to the bartender at this one club I used to go to, San Bernardino. She was kind of cute. And I told her, I said, you know, you're a very attractive woman. She said, oh, thank you, baby. I said, what you drinking? I told her what I was drinking. I said, so are you married? She looked at me. He said, you see those table of women over there? I said, yeah, that was about maybe six, five or six. Those are my daughters. I'm like, come on, you lying. She didn't look old. She didn't look. Uh... One of them came up, what you doing talking to my mama? Huh? And she went back and told the rest of them. He trying to talk to mama, y'all. Mm. 
So, imagine, girls from the age of 18 all the way up to about 25 surrounding my ass. I'm like, damn. I was in my late 20s at that time. I got hemmed up. She had a posse with her and shit. I'm like, damn. No, my daddy wouldn't like you talking to my mama like that. Well, I didn't know she was married. I was asking. Well, she very married. Okay, that's enough for me. Stepped on the landmine with that one. And they came with me like a street gang. They had a circle and shit. I was like, damn. And these weren't bad looking girls. But I knew, since I tried to talk to their mom, I wasn't gonna get no action. But they were sweet. And over the years, I became friends with them. Well, you never know. You got, you never know what you're dealing with. I never forget one time we were at a liquor store in LA. Many of you may know this on Crenshaw, the liquor bar. And there was this lady out in the car in the parking lot. Well, we go in there because there was a party that house party that my girlfriend was throwing over there for Western. And we go in there, we're ordering alcohol and everything, me and my buddy. Well, mother friend decided that what he was going to do was talk to the lady in the car. She's in the passenger seat. Now, her man was looking out the window and he comes out there, hey, get the fuck away from my lady. He said, oh, dude, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And so he came in, the dude was looking at him as if to say, just don't say shit, just go get what you need and leave. So the guy went on, paid for his stuff, and he went on and left with his woman. And I'm like, man, you almost got hemmed up. He said, you know, he said, I should have known. She said, Instead of standing here talking to me, you need to go in that store before my man come out and beat your ass. She gave him a warning, but he was going to be persistent. Now, most women are very polite in telling you they have a boyfriend or they're married. And fellas, what she's telling you at that point is, I'm not interested. That's what that translates to. Don't try to take it any further than that. She should not have to get on her hind legs and tell you the reason why she's not interested in you. Don't blow it like that. The reason being, she may be married, but she may have a fine-ass single girlfriend that she may introduce you to. I've had that happen to me. No, I'm married, but uh, give me your number. I got someone that you might be interested in. I'm like, yeah, right, whatever. Talked to the lady on the phone a couple of times, went over to the Cheesecake Factory for dinner. And that fine-ass woman walked through that door. I said to myself, if I have a kid with this woman by accident, I'm gladly accepting the responsibility because I was going to make sure I snapped a gristle completely off in that woman because that woman was, mm. 
Very sweet personality. Very nice. Had a wonderful time out together. But what was funny was this. While we were together, she told me, she said, well, I don't think I'm ready for a relationship right now. I said, well, I thought your girlfriend gave me your phone number. And she said, I know, I know. She said, she'd been wanting me to get a boyfriend and everything. She said, but here's the thing. She said, I got to be honest with you. I ran away with my last boyfriend. I'm like, hell, what did you do? She said, I get very possessive when it comes down to my things. And she said, if you become one of my things, I can't control myself. I'm like, damn, damn, that's Frank. And then she started explaining about the trouble she had been in in the past. Slashing tires, breaking out windows, taking a drill, drilling a hole through the damn keyhole of the boyfriend's apartment, getting into the house. She's pretty extreme. But I was able to water it down where we could just be friends and have casual sex. And then, of course, that stopped after a while because she said, no, we can't be doing this because I'm going to fall in love with you and before you know it, she says, I'm going to go there. I appreciated her for knowing herself very well because she did. And I got a little hint of that possession. We had finished having sex and I had driven all the way back to Anaheim. And she called me and she said, you know what? I'm like, what? I'm coming down there. I'm like, well, we gotta go to work tomorrow. She said, well, I've already called off. I'm not going to work tomorrow. She drove us down to Anaheim. Stayed the whole week. Couldn't get rid of her ass. (laughs) But she called herself, she said, no. She said, I'm, I'm going back in that same cycle that I was in. We can't see each other for about two weeks. It lasted a week. I was really, that was one woman outside of Monica, that was one woman I thought for sure I was gonna wind up getting pregnant. Condoms and all I was using, but I was, we were, it was like the rate of sex was so intense. I just knew, I said, one of these condoms going to break and I'm going to be shit out of luck. Fortunately, it never happened. But it was crazy, though. We had that attraction. And then eventually, she changed the phone number, never heard from her again. She had moved. But she knew it was best. So fellas, the moral of the story is this. You don't want to go and act a fool when a woman turns you down because you never know who's observing you that may be better off or better than the one that you're trying to get with. 
I'm telling you this. Because you never know what woman is admiring you for just being yourself and not sitting out there putting on a damn show. I always made a point as much as I could being single, going out and sitting by myself at a table or at the bar. Because I knew when a group of women came in, that's usually where they're going to sit, somewhere nearby. A lot of them are looking for conversation. They're looking for some kind of socialization. And as one one lady said, I looked very approachable, whatever the hell that meant. But the interesting thing was this. I'd hear them at other tables talking about the guys that were showing out. They were like, girl, he over there, look at him. He got the beer in his hand talking about whose ass he kicked and everything, and he's acting it out. They're laughing at it. And he's standing there calling himself an alpha male, beating his chest, wolfing, talking crap. But that's what they do. Because it's entertainment to them, because those are guys they'll never date. They think they're funny. And these guys are performing. They're serious. They're tap dancing. And they think they're doing something. As I told you, these women make decisions whether they're going to be with you within 30 seconds on average. And they know. Ask any woman. She'll look at a man, scan him up and down. Nope. Possibly. Yeah. They know what the hell they're looking for. And when they don't have that vibe for you, just accept it, fellas. Don't try to sit there and fight it. Don't try to argue your case. She made an assessment because there's something about you she saw that she didn't like. You're not going to be accepted by everyone. You're not going to be accepted by everyone. I remember one lady told me, my husband, he said, I'm fat and he wouldn't want to sleep with me and we haven't slept together in almost nine years and we're separated. And she went on and on and on. And she asked me, she said, if I was single, would you sleep with me? I told her, I said, I'd tear your ham hawk ass up. She wasn't fat. She was very nice, very attractive. But the problem was he had worn her self-esteem down to a level where she started even questioning her very existence. Oh, he did a mindfuck on her big time. She was very doubtful. And fellas, let me tell you something. I tell you what's hurtful to a woman. When she looks back at her pictures talking about how thin she used to be, how attractive she used to be. 
You see that glint in her eye for a moment? Resenting the fact that she aged. Resenting the fact that she's gotten a little bit larger. Resenting the fact that she got a little bit older. Usually that comes from criticism of others. You need to key on that and understand it, talk to her about it. Let her express herself about the way she feels. A woman will tell you everything you need to know in order to appeal to her and make love to her if you listen. See, you can save all that masculinity and shit when it's appropriate. But you don't want to go with that every time because they get tired of the same old note. They get tired of you always trying to assert your masculinity. And once a woman realizes that you're insecure with that masculinity because you got to do it all the time, they start to lose respect for you. You know, it's like these people on TikTok and different uh, platforms where they learn a new word and everything is that word. There's one lady that's on TikTok and the word (laughs) audacity. That word is used in every one of her 20 videos. Mighty funny you didn't hear that word used as often until Barack Obama wrote that book, The Audacity of Hope. It's been in the English language for a long time. There was a lady that asked me, what's the name of your last uh, release? I said, obsequiously Jocelyn. What does obsequiously mean? Well, obsequious, the word means Servantile, or someone that's of service, of commendable service. I heard that word for the first time back in 1966. Watching television. Looked up the word. I used to watch PBS. And I used to watch the talking head shows like uh, Meet the Press, those shows. And I would pay close attention to their diction, the way they spoke, some of the words they used, and look those words up. And then I started a track of going through the dictionary and learning every word and how to speak it. Find out the definition of as many of them as I could. One of the reasons why I did that was because in Mississippi you had some people that could not explain themselves. You see it now on many of the uh, social media accounts where they would go and take 45 minutes to explain something that could be said in a sentence. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, mm mm-hmm, well, um, um, yeah, um, you know, uh, not to go through all that. Gather your thoughts first, then communicate. Instead of communicating while you're trying to think. 
sometimes you will have to do that, especially if there's something very complex, like a complex um, concept that you're trying to convey to someone. It takes time. That's understandable. People can accept those pauses. But see, here's the problem with most Americans. They take a pause or misspeak in regards to a level of intelligence, especially a stutter. Worst thing you could do. Some of the people that have stuttered in history have been some of the smartest people. What we have to also realize is this. When we put our bias in front of us, sometimes we don't actually see the abilities of others. We see the deficiencies in others. And we go by that. I had an aunt, Thelma. You could never speak incorrect grammar around her. Be, to be, the verb, be. I be going, no, I am going. Even I correct myself on this show because hanging around people and speaking with people, you take on some of their lexicon. She have, no, she has. These things happen. And sometimes you gotta actually go back and kinda remember where you were. Now some of you have asked uh, when I go for certain references, when I go to studies, articles, those kind of things. Let me tell you one of the things I look for. I don't like using Wikipedia. I would prefer using something that has citations in it. An abstract of a dissertation or some other kind of form where the person has actually done research. So Wikipedia is nice just to find fundamental information. But in order to find the true meaning of it, you may want to do your due diligence. And yes, sometimes Wikipedia has citations as well. You see, I said have citations, has citations as well. And so with this, you want to go on and study it, read it. One thing I liked about the master's program that I was in, you saw different perspectives on the same problem or same issue. But it wasn't about deciding who was right or wrong. It was about you thinking about what would be the best solution. You had all these angles, but it challenged your thought to come up with the best remedy as you saw it. And then you could be in a position of pointing out some of the short flaw, some of the shortfalls 
in certain attitudes towards certain things. Even with our instructor in one of the class, international business class. One of our assignments was for us to actually write a thesis on critiquing his work. Certain things we could not use, though, that were off the table. We couldn't use because it had been written prior, so we couldn't use the time from then and now, the changes that have occurred in international business. But we had to deal with some of the fundamental root causes of problems that were there that he addressed at that time. And I thought that was pretty interesting. And here's what I admired about him more than anything. He didn't try to defend his position. And guess what we didn't do? We didn't tear him apart. We saw where it came from from his perspective, and we gave our perspective as well. These are things that we didn't enjoy. What you're going to learn in life is that you will be dealing with people with opposing views. Doesn't mean that their views are invalid. They may not be aligned with yours. But here's the thing. The more tolerant you are of different views, the more successful you will be with interpersonal skills, the more successful you will be when it comes to relationships. If you're rigid, my way or the highway, <laughs> you're going to be in that grain silo of a mind of yours, very isolated. It happens. More in a moment. All right, folks, just to round this out and conclude it, there are a lot of things that we need to consider in life. There'll be people that will have to make certain calls based on their livelihood that may compromise their reputation. Unpopular decisions people will have to make. You will make an unpopular decision sometimes when you're dating someone that everybody else is saying, oh, she's a whore, or oh, he's just a philanderer. And you're going against the grain. And you may not be equipped with the knowledge these people already have about that person, but yet you may not have the same experience everybody has with that person. So it could very well be that you could be with this person and date them and they're loyal and faithful to you where they have cheated on others in the past. And so you can't relate to what they're saying. I've dated women like that where other women told me, oh, she's a hoe, she's this, she's that. People start to speculate when they don't know. They spread rumors. They lie. They try to put forth what they hope is the truth when it's not, because they don't know. Same concept with religion. Oh, you going to hell if you don't go to church and pray? Why should I? 
You were taught that. Your alarm is fear. It's not going to prompt me to a call to action to go to church because I'm scared that I might get struck by lightning or something may happen to me. I already know one thing. I got a death sentence for living, just like every one of us. So why would I heighten my anxiety with fear, knowing that I'm going to die one day? Oh, aren't you worried about your soul in the afterlife? No. I'm worried about my life in the living life. If I'm dead, what good would it matter in the afterlife? Or my soul supposed to ascend and do something? Why haven't my soul has been contacted yet in regards to this? Besides someone trying to go and get me to go into church so they can get Jesus credits. That's where I sit. I don't criticize other people for being devout in their religious beliefs. Good to believe in something. The apostolizing side of it is where I have a problem. I've been on this planet 60 years. If I don't know where the church is, if I don't know what a Bible is, after being indoctrinated in it, damn near all my life, you start getting a group think, us against them. The very thing that separated mankind for so many centuries. Remember the Crusades, when they went into the Middle East and there were self-righteous Christians were trying to take over. America was made to be a place where everybody can enjoy and exercise their beliefs in their perspectives and their freedom. A lot of men and women have died for the sake of that in this country. From the 1700s all the way till now, including the slaves, including those that fought in the Confederate in the uh, Civil War, to the beaches of Normandy, Tinian Island, Saipan, Guam, those that passed away in Pearl Harbor. For this idea of being free, it's a heavy price that had been paid over the years. Enjoy your freedom. Pursue your happiness. Because you're in a place where it can all happen. But it's up to you to make it happen. It's not anyone else's responsibility to make you happy. It's up to you to do that. 
The only thing another person does is compliment that happiness. But it starts with you. Nobody else. No matter where you are right now emotionally or how you're feeling about yourself, why don't you take a moment and give yourself a break and say, you know what? I've kicked my own ass enough. Let me do something that's fun. Ladies, you got your heart broken by a guy? Just say, you know what? I'm going to clean myself up and I'm going to take myself out on a date tonight. I deserve to feel better about myself. Some of you ladies that have been divorced, that are quaking in your boots about going out there on the dating scene because you think you're going to meet a scammer or think you're going to meet some guy that's going to use you. Maybe you ought to do yourself up. Get with your girlfriends or your daughter. Go out, have a good time. And quit worrying about the small shit for just a moment. Because a lot of you have been too hard on yourselves. And that's the reason why you're failing in relationships also. And then you want to appeal to someone, but they look at you and they say, damn, you know, the way you beat yourself up, that's too much work for me to deal with. TMW, too much work. Not the car, but the actual work in the relationship. Oh, and it takes a lot of work. Yeah, we see these success stories on these dating sites where they say, oh yeah, Angela and John met about nine weeks ago and now they are in love and getting ready to go and share an apartment. Whoopie damn do for John and whoever the hell that's doing it. But does it happen every day? Nope. You know, Living life in many ways is like finding a way hoping that at some point you're going to wind up winning the lottery. You're waiting for a payoff in some sort of way. A decent relationship. A happy life. A healthy life. Our optimism keeps us going in that direction. It makes us wake up every day and say, you know what? I lived through yesterday and I'm going to try to live through today. Because you don't know what it's going to bring you. You never know. I woke up one morning, I'll never forget it. And I just said, you know, for the hell of it, I was living out there in Los Angeles at the time. And I said, let me just go take a drive out to the casino. I just need to get away from the city for a while. I'm going to drive out to Morongo. Well, when I got on the 10 and there was the 15 split, I said, huh, Morongo or... I said, screw it, I'm going to go to San Manuel. So I went over to San Manuel right over there in Highland, California. And what I did, I went upstairs to the $5 machine. 
And as you know, I always tell you, I only put in 20 bucks in any machine. That's it. Once the 20 is gone, I'm not throwing any more money away. Got my ass kicked on the first $5 spin. Only playing one line. Ass kicked on the second. Did it on the third. And there was a lady I was talking with. And she was sitting there talking to me. And we were talking about, yeah, it's difficult to win. I'd probably lose everything and give it, take my ass home. And she turned around. She said, fool, turn around. You want $5,000. I said, oh, cool. She got mad at me because I didn't pay to play the other five, which would have been a $10 bet, which would have netted me $50,000. I was thankful for the five. Withdrew that money and left that casino with my money in hand. Thank you very much. That morning, I didn't wake up with the intention of winning. I woke up with the intention of losing. This is what happens in our lives, folks. Sometimes things may not come out the way you have perceived them to be. You never know. That's what keeps us going. So we win one victory. And then we are motivated. Hell, there might be more victories. The only thing is, maybe you don't need to go to the same well. It may be another victory in another kind of way. I remember I needed tires on my car. With that same money. And I call my ass driving back to L.A. And I hear, vroom, 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 vroom. I'm like, oh, damn. There were the original tires on the car. I stopped the car, looked at it, and I saw that the radio was breaking on the inside of the tire. So I said, okay, I'll stop over in San Bernardino. Got a brand new set of tires put on there. Went back and said to myself, well, that's a good thing. Told a friend of mine about, oh, Jesus is good. The Lord is good. Da, da, da. I said, well, here's the thing. Had I not wanted to get my ass up and make that drive. Well, you know, the Lord got you up. I said, mm, I got myself up. I could have laid in bed like I thought I was going to do. That was on me. But you got people that are trying to Give credit. Okay, no problem. Do that. But what we have to also understand is that in our lives, what keeps us going every day is the optimism and the hope we have for a better day. You cannot let that flame flutter or go out on you. Because that's the thing that's going to keep you going. That's going to keep you moving on. And as long as you keep moving, you're going to be all right. The reason why you're going to be all right is because of the fact that guess what you're going to do as you go forward? You're going to grow. You're going to learn. And you're going to have pleasant experiences and different experiences and bad experiences. 
There's no guarantee in life as everything's going to be good. You know, it would crack me if I'd hear people say, yeah, when I get some money, I'll be wealthy and I'll be happy. You don't know how many people I knew that said that and when they got the money, they weren't. Because there was another component they didn't realize. After they got it, they started to realize the people that were around them, how superficial they were. Some of them had adversaries in their midst and didn't even know it. Others had full-blown enemies, had no idea. Best friends, BFFs. And yeah, people that say, oh, well, money's the root of all evil. No, people are the root of all evil. <laughs> Money's just something that's there. It doesn't do anything. It's the people and their motivations. Poor people will tell you money's the root of all evil because they don't have any. They get it. <laughs> oh, they wouldn't say that? Trust me. Because they'd be talking about them. the mindset that's the root well folks I'm going to do something Satan never did I'm going to leave you alone as he used to say in the south but I will talk to you on tomorrow take care we at Romantic Truth appreciate your listenership Listeners, you're invited to stream and listen to Jawson's music on Apple Music, Amazon Music, Spotify, Audio Mac, or Deezer. Type in J-A-U-S-A-N in the search for artists to follow and like modern instrumental music from his discography. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those solely of the host and are not condoned, or endorsed by Romantic Truth, Anchor or any of its affiliates. The advice given herein is the expressed opinion of the host and not to be used for legal marital, or family, counseling, or for professional practice purposes. In the event for professional assistance, please contact the local licensed professional family counselor, marriage counselor or social services professional in your region. If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show. Be advised that all of the background music of production not provided by Anchor is owned by James Adams and Jaws and One Music exclusively licensed for this Romantic Truth podcast under waiver. Please understand that there were no people or animals hurt in the segments of this show including plants. All sound effects were improvised in the studio setting with props. We are an equal opportunity employer with two Yorkie poodles and a rat terrier as the security detail. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.